0: You're listening to Ticker Talk, a podcast brought to you by CanNet, the Cardiovascular Network of Canada. Immerse yourselves in conversations with caregivers and patients living well after diagnosis and gather insight from leading experts across Canada on research findings that make a difference. I'm your host, Anne-Marie Julian, a research partner, a peer support group leader, and a patient with lived experience managing my own cardiac health condition. Welcome. Welcome, Dr. Jennifer Reed. Jennifer is the Program Chair of Cardiac Rehabilitation, a scientist in the Division of Cardiac Prevention and Rehabilitation, and the Director of the Exercise Physiology and Cardiovascular Health Laboratory at the University of Ottawa Heart Institute. Is there anything I miss?
1: I actually wear two other hats. I am also an Associate Professor in the School of Epidemiology and Public Health in the Faculty of Medicine at the University of Ottawa. I'm an adjunct professor in the School of Human Kinetics in the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of Ottawa. Between those four roles, I
0: have a lot of fun. (laughs) And you still have time to do podcasts. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's excellent. We want to talk today about some of the work you've been doing around exercise and atrial fibrillation. Can you tell me a little bit about what inspired the work that you've done and what led you to it and how that unfolded? I
1: started at the Heart Institute in 2013 as a postdoctoral research fellow, and one of the first few items or responsibilities, we'll say, within the first few weeks of me starting was to simply observe our cardiac rehabilitation programs. It was a nice luxury of time to sit and observe the programming, the nurses, the physios, the physicians in terms of the operations of the program. Quite quickly, I noticed that those with atrial fibrillation were not referred or included in our programs. And so that's what really began my interest in the area. Now, if a patient has cardiovascular disease, including coronary artery disease or heart failure or other medical conditions and atrial fibrillation, they're included within our cardiac rehabilitation programming. But they're usually there because they have another diagnosis that's led them to the program. That's where I found my love, if I can say that, for the atrial fibrillation population is because I found there to be a major gap in care and you have a gap in research in the area as it pertains to exercise-based cardiovascular rehabilitation and physical activity programming. And so you have a gap in care and you have a gap in research. And so that's what really led me down the path of examining the impacts of physical activity, structured exercise, and cardiac rehabilitation as a whole on those with atrial fibrillation.
0: You identify this gap early on, and then what happens? Your interest is peaked, your curiosity is peaked, and then you start looking into this.
1: I was really interested in looking at the types of exercise modalities that may be most beneficial for patients with atrial fibrillation. And if we look at other cardiovascular disease populations, heart failure, coronary artery disease, there was a lot of growing literature at the time comparing high-intensity interval training versus moderate-intensity continuous exercise training, MICE or MIT, we'll call it. And so I thought, well, how might this apply to the pathophysiology of atrial fibrillation? And so I began searching the literature, developing a research question, and then developing a full proposal for a grant application to get pilot funding to look at testing different exercise modalities, paradigms in those with atrial fibrillation. And I will say at first, many thought, wait, this seems a bit crazy. You want to take a patient that has an irregular rapid heart rate and have them undergo high intensity interval training that will only elevate their heart rate to a greater extent than it's already elevated, if not appropriately managed with medications and have them do this for 25 minutes, a few days a week for several weeks. My response was exactly, That's exactly what I want to do because there's there was some supporting literature indicating that exercising at higher intensities can actually have a positive impact on autonomic tone. And so with that, we might be able to achieve lower resting and exercise heart rates by training at a higher intensity. And these are for brief periods of time. We're not asking patients with atrial fibrillation to do high-intensity exercise for 50 minutes. These are brief periods of time, you know, 30 seconds to a few minutes and allowing them to recover. But it would be that these high-intensity brief sessions would hopefully have impacts on autonomic function and specifically the regulation of the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system that we could hopefully... Help to reduce the exercise and resting heart rates for those patients, providing them some relief.
0: Okay, so you do the research and you learn that in a sample of
1: 94 patients with persistent and permanent atrial fibrillation, these are patients that are a little farther progressed along the continuum of atrial fibrillation. We actually found that if we compare two sessions a week for 12 weeks of HIT versus MIT or mice, We found similar improvements in functional capacity, as measured by a six-minute walk test, ability to engage in activities of daily living, and quality of life, regardless of the program. We didn't see the superiority of HIT that we were hypothesizing or expecting, but we did see improvements regardless of the program. That was maybe not so much surprising in the end, because regardless of the program chosen, patients were benefiting with regards to key areas of concern exercise tolerance, and quality of life. I take that as a win because these options aren't currently available for patients with AFib, but those with permanent or persistent atrial fibrillation, they don't have any other options other than medications and procedures. And so this really goes to show that lifestyle interventions can help to manage their poor quality of life and their poor exercise tolerance that they do suffer with on an everyday basis.
0: From a patient perspective, not only improving your exercise tolerance, but also inherent in that is, like you say, the activities of daily living become a little bit more manageable because you're building capacity.
1: Absolutely. The trial that we published was in JAMA Network Open, so a fairly well-known journal within the medical community and the cardiovascular community we did make it open access because we wanted to ensure patients would have access to it either they would be highly engaged or perhaps it's the perfect bedtime reading to put them to sleep i'm not sure we wanted to make it open access for all you know clinicians scientists patients care providers that was our goal i will say it certainly was a lot to start this trial because we had to overcome patient fears regarding their heart rate issues We had to convince them in a way to come on site two days a week, which is a burden, travel time, transportation costs, exercising in these two different exercise program options. But it's a lot for someone who may have a number of symptoms and can be disabling to say, okay, two days a week, I'm going to come to the Heart Institute and engage in this research. And I'm not quite sure what they're going to find. But I'm going to engage in these exercise sessions and maybe exercise is something I haven't done for a few years because of my condition and because exercise and physical activity hasn't been part of any clinical guidelines for those with atrial fibrillation. Before 2020, there was no mention of exercise, physical activity within the guidelines. So that's a big step for patients trusting us to undergo these sessions and trusting that we're going to deliver them in a safe, supervised manner. But also to recruit nearly a hundred patients over a few years with this condition, where we would see them twice a week for three months, plus all the other testing. It was certainly not a small endeavor to complete that trial.
0: Sounds like quite a challenge.
1: Yes. (laughs) As I kind of relive all of the efforts over the years. So worth it. In fact, we have another one that's currently ongoing that's a larger version of that, where we have a control group. We simply didn't finish that trial and say, well, you know here's the evidence it's one study in a growing field
0: not exactly the results you anticipated the takeaways for a patient listening to this would be some activity is better than none
1: the programs were all gradual and so oftentimes patients were starting from no physical activity or structured exercise as part of their daily living and that's quite common in fact, there are both Canadian trials and international trials have shown that 50 to 60% of patients with atrial fibrillation are physically inactive. We know for our trial, we were going to be starting with patients that were likely not physically active. And that was part of our eligibility criteria. We certainly had to build a program for them over the first few weeks for them to adjust to the protocols in a very personalized, respectful approach of bringing them to where we needed them to be within a few weeks so that we can have the rest of the trial to ensure that they were on target for those protocols.
0: From here, where are you going? Where are you taking this research? You've got some insights you've talked about, the larger study with the control group. Are there other research avenues you're pursuing that have kind of percolated out of the insights you've gotten so far? Last year, the year before, we received money for the Canadian Institute of Health Research, and
1: they actually are supporting a multi-center national trial. We have five sites across Canada that are going to be looking at physical activity levels of patients with atrial fibrillation. And the plan is to assess if patients are meeting physical activity targets, exercise targets. And we don't know that because all of the research to date, including some of our own, has all been self-reported and self-report data can be biased as you might assume. We report what we think others want us to report or what we recall may not be accurate in terms of what we've actually done in the past. So this trial will recruit nearly 1,200 patients across Canada with atrial fibrillation. Patients will be asked to wear a research-grade accelerometer for seven days so we can measure their physical activity levels with a research-grade device. And then at the same time, they're also going to be wearing a continuous ECG monitor and one that is easy for them to apply at home or we can provide some assistance. That's going to enable us to look at their ECG in terms of their rhythm and their rate and how that maps on to the physical activity they might be doing. If they're not active, we get a clear picture of their rate and rhythm from this continuous device. And if they are quite active, What is the association between different intensities of exercise and their rhythm and their rate? We're kind of pairing our interests in physical activity with some really well-established leading-edge technology in terms of doing continuous ECG in the home environment.
0: Sounds like this field is evolving and it's evolving quickly as more and more we learn about how lifestyle intervention can make a difference for people living with a particular condition. And as you say, with the atrial fibrillation population, because for a long time, that group of patients was just not getting referred on to cardiac rehab where they may have been exposed to activity recommendations or physical activity guidelines. And they're still not. And they're still not.
1: The most recent clinical management guidelines for atrial fibrillation was released in 2020. For the first time ever in the world, they have exercise targets for patients. And so they mention at least 200 minutes per week of moderate intensity exercise. And there are some specifics regarding flexibility and resistance training. But these targets exceed the Canadian physical activity guidelines and the World Health Organization guidelines. So there are certainly some questions regarding the support for these 200 minutes, when you might be aware of yourself that typically it's 150 minutes. So they've raised the bar. I'm not sure why, but it is so positive to see at least these exercise targets. So it's wonderful to see them included. It's the right direction for research and clinical care. But I would rather have physical activity and exercise be a component than not at all especially given the literature supporting its positive role. I think we need to go even further, though. There's a mention of exercise targets, but they're still not recommending a direct referral to exercise-based cardiovascular rehabilitation. I find one of the most difficult challenges in this area of research is reaching these individuals with all of the trials that are now occurring. It would be so great for patients to be aware of the research so that they could decide whether or not they're interested and help to benefit the research that's being done for them. So I haven't really unlocked this puzzle yet because I know there are grassroots efforts. I know we're doing better than we used to. But when you're an individual with a particular um, condition, I would want to know of all the opportunities that might exist for me. I don't think there's that infrastructure yet, but that's what I would dream of. If you, know, you could dream of Jeannie, that's what I would dream of is that patients would have a great network connecting them to all of the clinical trials and research that's being done so they could feel a part of the solution because the reason we're doing this is for them to begin with.